when racket takes off, my dream gift for you is the Federer uh, Air Jordan cross. <gasps> the, I, oh those my god! Are I actually amazing. <laughs> they are amazing. I went on the internet right after those debuted, and yeah. I tried to buy them, and obviously they were bought up because sneakerheads like oh, lurk. Way ahead. Like tennis fans didn't have a chance. Sneakerheads no. were there way before we could have been. But yeah. I totally agree with you. Those oh. are fresh. Uh, those are the freshest shoes probably to like ever appear near a tennis court. Right. What would be the top end of what you would pay for them? Six hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Hey, Caitlin. Hi, Chris. So it's grass court season. I love it. Yep. Uh, the shortest but still fun season, right? Yeah. Interestingly, it is the surface upon which tennis originated, and yet it is now the much diminished part <laughs> of the year, right? right? Just short of vestigial, uh, but, <laughs> not, but not quite there yet. Uh, it's definitely the male nipple of the pro tour. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I'm delighted because it's really fun to watch. And just for anybody who is not a rabid tennis fan, um, the reason it's really fun to watch is it is still one of the more distinctive playing style showcases on the Pro Tour, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would. I would. It's um, it's less different than it used to be, right? I think we can all agree, but um, but still weird and at a minimum visually really cool to look at. Really cool to look at. the the ball slides when it hits the grass, so it doesn't bounce very high. And as a result, most people do a lot more surveying volleying, and there's a lot of slicing because yes. putting backspin in the ball keeps the ball even lower and slidier yep. than any other shot. And so points are fast and very offensively geared usually, which makes for a very sort of explosive uh, points. I'm really excited about this year's Wimbledon. I think there's some interesting storylines Sure. Uh, there's the all-white clothing thing, which I'm delighted by. Uh, you know, I love a I love a blocking scheme. Yes. So I'm excited. Totally, I am too. Um, and watching it sort of reminds you that a lot of the best male players, at least, are sort of retrievers or have retrievery parts to their game. Mm. And um, like, and it's cool that they have to kind of tune it up a little bit in terms of trying to hit through the court. Uh, I was thinking today. Do you remember when Nadal finally broke through and won? Wimbledon and it just seemed impossible that a clay court guy would do it yes and then it was like oh well a clay court guy if he's also one of the greatest players of all time can right totally, can totally do it <laughs> yeah like Sergi Bruguera never made any Wimbledon finals I remember where I was watching that match you know what I mean yep it went so late into the night and yeah um, it was like four hours yep uh where were you when you watched it well I watched the first half with uh Dave uh-huh Shot partner of me uh, of my racket magazine endeavor. Um, and then we broke to play tennis. Then we had falafel and <laughs> then we went back to his apartment and finished watching it. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. Wow. All within the span of one single match. Yeah. Uh, went on forever. Uh, I love when the matches at Wimbledon go on until it's like dark and they don't put lights on and it looks like, <laughs> is it TV makes it look darker or lighter than it is? It's a good question, but yeah. it's, it's crazy. One it's one of them. And I just rem I remember it because I was in a hospital in Chicago because my wife had a really high temperature or something. It's kind of monstrous that I can't remember, but I do remember the match. <laughs> I don't know what she was there for, but I was looking and it was like, 
I like I remember walking in and knowing that the match was on and being like, "Are you okay, honey?" And then go, going out to the room and there was like a glorious flat screen te- television. Oh my god! <laughs> You're like, "You're fine, right? Can, you, do you need anything? I'll are, get you some water. How about some more water?" Right, because I think <laughs> we still had a glass uh, screen television, like with the curved thing. I don't even remember what that is. Uh, right, right. <laughs> so like a huge HD TV was just amazing. Yeah, you uh, can like see the grains of grass. Yes. Because they mow them in a like checkerboard pattern. Right. Ugh, I love it. I love it to death. I like. I remember when Federer lost that match to Nadal because he'd beat him the year before, right? And I remember it was a little like seeing your dad get fired or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, my dad's never been fired. I want to make that clear. But if if it did happen, I think that's how it would feel. Yeah, it was a it was a moment. It was a real change in the guard moment, and I I was less excited for Nadal than I was sad for Federer. Which right. remains, that's a dynamic that has remained in my, you know, despite a healthy love for Rafa. Sure. Like, I still feel like Roger, there's something uh, sort of textbook about him, and you don't want to see, like, your your giant slain in the way that that felt <laughs> sure. to me. Sure, sure. Wow, I feel the exact opposite. It's his text textbookness that makes me like uh, Nadal more. And especially then, because he was still going sleeveless. Which, Oof. Yeah, he won that in clam diggers in, a, in yep. a tank top. Right. What could be more create more dissonance than clam diggers and a tank top that are all white? This is so I, weird. So th- weird. Uh, and yet another thing for the con column, which, you know, this is the healthy tension upon which this podcast thrives, I think. <laughs> exactly. Am I wrong? No, no, you're you're right. Uh, so let me take this moment to uh, say, give two pieces of feedback because uh, we, in our last episode, talked a little bit about um, Maria Sharapova and Muguruza. And we had some very uh, strong feelings in regards to that conversation. Okay. Might, I, might I share some of them with you? Uh, please do. Um, we had, a, we had a, com- a comment on Twitter uh, talking about how dare we um, talk about Mia Bajinski as a newcomer, which I feel like that's not really fair. I think for most Americans, she is a newcomer, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's right. They, she's not like right out of the gate. Uh, so there is something fair about that comment. Yeah. This is from uh, a Twitter handle, Anna Konyu fans. Anna Konyu is an uh, Eastern European tennis player. Uh-huh. She asked us to get our facts straight. So the, the then there was a talk about how we felt like Marin Cilic got off uh, with a slap on the wrist despite taking a banned substance, she argued that that substance had was obtained over the counter. And that is far less severe than Maria's um, banned substance taking. So noted. Yes. Yes. That, that is like a, that is an important detail about Chilich. It's a funny, like the the degree to which like there's been so much writing about Sharapova that you forget the other instances of it are also not simple. Yeah, <laughs> uh, completely. Hers is like particularly co- complicated, but I think with this stuff, uh, it's always a little complicated. Yes, agreed. And I think that th- that was a very good point that, uh, you know, Marin Cilic now, in retrospect, doesn't seem to have been as much of a villain as he might have been painted, especially if we're going to give Sharapova, to be clear, not a lot of allowances, but maybe some we were tempted to give her. So, fair. Um, and then we got a really fun comment um, in response to uh, how we could make Novak more likable. Yeah. You ready for this? Yes. Courtesy of Wes Needham, Space Jam 2, Grand Slam Jam. 
<laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Which I think we don't, I don't need to, I can't add anything to that. No, no, it's absolutely perfect. Hat um, tip to you, <laughs> sir. Thank you for listening. And that is a brilliant suggestion. We will pass it along. Yes. Uh, all right. So we did an interview this week. I was so excited for this. Yeah. So tell the people who he was. For anybody who was listening to uh, an episode a couple of weeks ago when I was in Europe watching Eurosport, I got a really fantastic comment from a Eurosport commentator named Anders Rasmussen who calls matches mostly in Danish. Um, And I invited him to come on the show to talk about the differences between commentating in Europe and here, how the TV coverage is different, um, and just to give our general grass court uh, Wimbledon preview because he's been on tour with the players for the past couple of weeks uh, while they've been playing in all these grass court tournaments. All right. So here is Anders, who was good enough to join us all the way from Denmark. Well, yeah. Anders, thank you so much for coming on to the main draw. We really appreciate it. Oh, I'm super stoked to be here. Um, one of the most exciting things, uh, the prospects of having you on the show is obviously you are right now covering the grass court uh, season for Eurosport. Where are you this week, and are you calling matches? I uh, was calling Halle last week. Uh, unfortunately, being uh, employed with Eurosport Denmark means that uh, our travel budget isn't quite what I think Eurosport UK or Eurosport International has. So, <laughs> so most of uh, most of the tennis is is being called from a tiny little phone booth style box. Uh, in a sort of industrial suburban neighborhood outside Copenhagen with no windows or anything. So it's uh, it's not as glamorous as it might sound, but we, you know, when, we, when we're out there, it's pretty sweet. You know? Well, I think you just described basically the setup for the Main Draw podcast. So we're all, <laughs> uh, we're all in the same boat. Um, Chris and I were just talking about Hala, and I think the thing we were most excited about is Zverev's hair. <laughs> yeah, oh, his youthful Zverev's hair. hair. What I didn't like about his hair, though, was that he uh, he was donning that um, that zebra headband, and I was so happy to be rid of the zebra look. And <laughs> it was almost gone, but then he had that little headband that sort of referenced the the zebra design from the French Open, which uh, was uh, yeah, I was happy to be rid of it. So. Right. I wasn't happy to see it again. Not great on clay, even worse on grass. So did you call that match? I, w- I called a few Sverev matches. I think I called his early rounds. I have to say, I mean, what a boss. huh? I mean, I was really, <laughs> really impressed with him. No, just like his strokes and, and also like being, what is he, close to two meters and then just moving so solidly yeah. and fluently and beautifully. And I don't, I don't see any uh, hitches in his game, really. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. About him. He seems kind of a, I don't know, like a neat guy, actually. Like I, I kind of like his attitude. I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a cool kind of tennis family with some Soviet history behind it. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about him. I think the movement is pretty incredible given uh, his size, yeah. and and also he doesn't look strong, but when he, right. When he pushes to go out wide for a ball, he he gets there with like room to actually hit it hit it the right way. Yeah, and I what, what's really exciting is that while he's you know he's tall and he's you can tell that he's still kind of a teenager. You know, his body is a teenager's body. He's kind of like these long limbs that are kind yeah, of yeah, he's very limby. You know, flailing. Yeah, yeah, and and. <laughs> 
I'm like, if if you if you have that kind of powerful game at 19 with with a limmy body, what's it gonna look like? You know, when you become more sturdy and kind of grow into. I think Federer has been using that term, like growing into a man's body or whatever. I, I think he could really be a, a powerhouse. Yeah. Speaking of the young guns, like watching team last week also on grass was really exciting. He's got power and he's got really good hands. Like his touch is really good. Um, and he, you know, like Zverev has had a couple of like hair improvements. He used to wear like a bleached look, but now he's got a very like high and tight, which I really appreciate. So I feel like the, me- the future of the men's game is really exciting, both sartorially, which is something that is not unimportant to us on this podcast, but also in terms of like the maturity of their games. Like these are exciting players. Yeah. What I, what I, what I like about team too is his, like there's something so serious about him, you know, like he's yeah. like a serious young man in a way. And then I was, I don't know, I was reading about how, uh, how he used to do physical training with, uh, <laughs> with this crazy kind of Austrian guy. Like they would run around the woods at night and they would like lift tree trunks and they would kind of hike through cold rivers and they would sleep <laughs> outdoors. And like, it was just, <laughs> it sounded like nothing I'd ever heard of. So I believe that's called the Revenant training program. <laughs> Caitlin and I love like an 80s action movie montage. And that's what that sounds like. Like you square that with like Eye of the Tiger and that's team. That's a really great quality. I'm surprised though. I don't know what you guys think, but I'm surprised that he has success on grass the way he does because... Me too. I don't know. um, You know, I think that grass favors more compact tennis and he has like such grand movements and kind of... Especially that forehand, yeah. There's a lot lot going on Yeah, they're very big and loopy. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I think it's his hands. Like, he moves to net, and he's got a really good short game. Like, he was hitting drop shot off the bounce, you know, approach volleys. And I was like, right. whoa, this kid has a really an amazing court sense. Um, and in a way that I didn't expect him to to do well on grass, much less win a title after beating Federer in the semis, you know? So, like, that was – it's been a rough two weeks for Federer, but, like, these young guys are really – I don't know, showing some maturity beyond their years, which is exciting. So, Anders, one of the reasons we started talking is because we did an episode when I was in Sweden about uh, Mats Wielander and the amazing coverage of uh, tennis that is happening that most Americans are totally ignorant of because we don't get the amazing Eurosport channel. Um, And I just want to know, you, even when you are broadcasting, calling matches from an industrial park outside Copenhagen, did you feel like I did it justice? I was really, I was really happy to hear that, and I, I don't know, also just to get an outsider's look because you know sometimes you tend to, to not appreciate what you've got, and uh, you know sometimes you think you look at Eurosport and uh, you know you kind of feel like they're, I don't know, goofing around or maybe choosing the wrong anchors or whatever, but. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, having you retell it, and I, I really see they—they they do kind of geek off in a way. Like you can be a total tennis nerd, and you know, it's fine. It's not—it doesn't have to be super slick. And and I do think Matt's is—he's—he's he's pretty awesome, actually. I'm really impressed with the work he does. Have you ever watched any tennis coverage in America? I have, yeah. During the Open, the U.S. Open, I—it's—I—I um, I do kind of sort of like the round table talk that uh, goes on sometimes, but uh, it, it doesn't dwell. I think the pace is higher in the U.S. coverage. Like, you know, you kind of fly from one thing to the other where I feel like it, I feel like Eurosport looks more amateur-like than most U.S. broadcasting does in terms of tennis. Uh, mm. 
I kind of like the the effect of, of that amateur look because you know you get kind of these awkward situations or interviews or they kind of delve into geeky details that are kind of funny I think. Yeah, for me, the fact that the U.S. market is probably a little bit more hyper and we're we're used to more of a slick broadcast style are both things that I do not like. I like the noodling. I like the um, you know the really sort of in depth stuff. Serena's coach has his own like section of the main broadcast, which is crazy because he is most famous for being Serena Williams's coach and most people in the States don't know who he is. <laughs> right, so right. I feel like you can get this really interesting cast of characters. And I don't know if this is the same in Eurosport, but in the States anyway, between ESPN and the tennis channel, and then occasionally NBC who does like the finals for a lot of the grand slams, they only get like one or two players. And then they get like, media professional broadcasters who just do right. a lot of different sports. And I think that's what you're seeing. They're very slick. They're very professional. They're good yeah. at segues, but they don't actually have that much knowledge about the game. Or if they do, it's it's spoken to such a broad audience, desperate to sort of hold their attention instead of talking to the people who are really big fans and want to nerd out, like you say. What, what they can do, though, is like they can really create... I don't know, kind of stories or uh, they can kind of create a hype. I remember the U.S. Open 2009 when I was covering Wozniacki's kind of big final run when she was 19. And I think it was Brad Gilbert who was interviewing her on court after one of the matches. And and he ended the interview by going, saying something like, good luck, sunshine. And, and you know, the <laughs> studio people, immediately, they immediately caught up on that kind of thing because she was in the studio five minutes later and they were like, oh, so there's the sunshine thing. And they kind of grabbed onto that sunshine thing and they, it just kind of went all over. And for her next match, they were playing like, what, what's this uh, song about sunshine that I'm forgetting right now? Um, Good Day Sunshine by the Beatles? It's something like that. Or and I don't know. It just became like she became Miss Sunshine. And like it just created this whole kind of buzz around it, which I think is, um, I mean, I think that's something that, that U.S. broadcasting really can do better than most is like to to generate a buzz, maybe even out of nothing sometimes. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, I've think i noticed that, that when you watch the, uh, the Open, it's a lot about um, body language and who is nervous because instead of tactics, you know, and sometimes it fits and uh, other times it's just like, well, his opponent's uh, level of play went up or it went down and that's why he or she is doing better. It's not that there's this emotional churn inside them. Uh, but if you're right. not going to talk about strategy, you, you, you need to talk about something. It's also because it's easier, uh, like <laughs> <laughs> right. to kind of uh, to out myself as a tennis commentator. If I haven't done my homework well enough, or if I'm not paying close enough attention to a match or the game, <laughs> like it's so easy. It's so easy to just kind of delve into speculations about the mental aspects of this player. And, you know, whereas, really sort of sitting there and, and kind of catching a glimpse of certain patterns of play, it requires much more attention, I think, than, uh, than some kind of bland uh, comment about uh, she looks nervous now. Or... Right. So this brings us to the main thing that we want to talk about. Here we are. It's the middle of a very short grass season. Next week, all eyes across the world who care about tennis anyway are going to be trained on Southwest London, the championships at Wimbledon um, are, are starting. And I wanted to talk to you about this, this phenomenon 
that is happening this year, this time around, which is like a major marketing push trying to get people across the globe to think of Wimbledon as one of the world's major sporting events, like Premier League or the World Cup or the Olympics or the Super Bowl. I was horrified to hear brought into the discussion. What is your take on the idea that it's not as big as it should be? I like some of their ambition in terms of spreading the sport to, like I was reading about how they've done research among young people in Brazil who think of Wimbledon as really uppity and upper class. And so they were trying to show them, you know, the people on Henman Hill. And uh, I don't know, I kind of like the ambition of trying to, I don't know, democratize the game or, or, you know, make it, because it's, it really, if you look at the stars, like so many kind of immigrant uh, kids grow up to be tennis stars. It, it doesn't have, I don't think there's, it's not fully true that kind of myth of tennis being a super conservative upper class sport. So I think there is something uh, worthwhile about trying to break down some of those barriers because wouldn't it be great if kids in Brazil started thinking tennis was awesome? I, I think so. Totally. I totally agree with that. And you're right, Andre Agassi, if you look at all the Australian players who are succeeding right now, all of them are sons of immigrants, which has, right. you know, complicated factors for Australians who are sort of notoriously a little bit xenophobic. Like, this isn't a hoity-toity sport, but it has this sort of branding, you know, history from, like, basically the Cotswolds, like, it's like English breakfast tea and gardens, right? I find that charming because I also like and understand the greater context. But I think, yeah, there's something really uh, limiting. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm I'm more like I grew up and I was the only person I knew who was into tennis, really. And I think I'm I'm I think they should get a pretty long leash on changing things to get more people involved. And I think that's a great point about that it doesn't really bear out the idea that at least at that top level that it's just uh, kids that have a lot of money that make it into the top 10. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the other thing is Asia and how to bring Asia more into the two tours. And I, I would be up for pretty big changes, especially to Wimbledon, um, to make that happen. I mean, it'll really feel like more of a world sport that way. And that would be great. What so do you of... think it should move? Like the, the Super Bowl moves every year, right? Uh, I don't know. I think that would remove uh, part of the appeal that that would get people around the world into it. I mean, I think the grounds are a super big part of the tournament, right? I, I think that the I think one of the unique things about Wimbledon compared to the other three majors is that it's it's it seems very integrated. When you get there, you kind of get the feeling that you're at a community event, like the people, the ushers at Santa Court are maybe like firemen from the London Fire Brigade. And you've got club members walking around helping you out if you want information. You've got like, the, I was talking to the the head of like the ball kids, like this Miss Rundle, this former math teacher from an elementary school. And, you know, like the, the ball kids are from schools nearby. And I don't know, there's just kind of a, there's a there's a local feeling to it that uh, that I don't always get at the other slams, which yeah. I think makes it very difficult to to kind of ha- have it be a traveling circus like that. Sometimes you know, like I don't know, it's kind of like that when you write, you know, or when you cover any kind of 
you you feel like um, you can't be too nerdy because then you lose people. Um, but then there's a point like if you if you go just run amok into nerddom or something, and then it, and zoom in, you zoom in, you go macro, and you zoom all the way in. At some point, it actually kind of broadens out again and becomes kind of globally interesting when you're at that kind of very sort of at sort of atom level. I don't know. It, it, to me, I think that's kind of what I took away from David Foster Wallace's tennis writing is that I was like, wow, can you really do that? Can you dissect the the kind of mechanism of a draw? Or can you like go into players' weird names and like can it and, and how can that appeal to a broad reading audience? But and somehow it does. It, it does, yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. The one book the one article that he wrote for Esquire about the Coupe Roger in my hometown of Montreal and the you know, minutiae of the tour and it's, and it's, you know, tiny victories and tiny defeats that are handed out well beyond the top 10 and like the mechanisms of the, t the tournaments functions and stuff. You're right that, that you're totally right about that. I think maybe they're onto something because what you're describing to me is really emotional. And I think what people like about most sports is the emotions. That's an easy right. starting place for people, which is why, you know, if you're lazy, you can call somebody nervous and it still translates. But what I think I kind of want to change tracks a little bit, but here's one of my like greatest beefs about tennis on TV. And I think that everybody is guilty of this. And I don't think until we fix it that we'll get more fans. I think that the way, the angle that we show tennis on TV to show the whole court, as opposed to a ground level shot where you can actually see the speed of the ball and the, the player movement right, right. is one of the largest liabilities to getting people into it because they don't get right. the emotion when it's a three quarter shot and it's two tiny ants running across it. I mean, that might be a tiny critique, but I really do think most people who have never seen it in person don't feel a greater urge to do so because right. of how well, it's shot. I completely, I completely agree with you. It's funny because, like, I usually, I usually call the, the big finals with uh, Michael Mortensen. He was the coach of Lena when she won uh, the French Open back in what was that, eleven? Two thousand eleven. Um, yeah, and uh, both of us, we were like, instant. You know, sometimes they do that where they kind of. They it's still shot from behind, but they kind of lower the the angle. You kind of almost get it from like the perspective of the players and what you kind of bring it down yes, a bit. Yes, that is and the we, best shot you can see. It's stuff. such a good shot, and yeah, and uh, and we're both like, oh, what a great angle! Finally, we get it, and you get it like maybe once per, not even once per match. It's one per tournament. It feels yeah. like. I mean, yeah. like, why don't they experience experiment more with? Uh, different angles i really don't get it actually also when you're on that low shot you realize how much action is on the ball like it's just yeah. moving up and down and side to side and it just makes it even more impressive when they go out wide and still and still like strike it square right in the middle of the racket it just it seems impossible when the shot's coming in it's really really awesome so given what you've seen uh so far in the grass court season uh what do you think is going to happen next week I'm very excited to see if Zverev, of course, can sort of carry on his momentum into Wimbledon. I'm also, but that's more in a fearful way, kind of anxious about seeing Roger Federer because I feel like, I mean, he's looking a bit, I don't know, rusty. Or, yeah, it's not, he's, I'm, he looks, I'm, I'm like he looks very, vulnerable. Yeah, and, and vulnerable in a way that's like, uh, I don't know, that might not change or something. Like, I, I feel like... I don't know. I don't want to be one of those who writes him off and then he ends up winning and <laughs> getting back to number one like he did in 12. But but I'm I'm getting a 
feeling about Roger Federer, and it's not a good feeling. Awesome. All right, man, we got to wrap it up. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, hopefully, if you can make it out of your industrial yeah. uh, suburb of Copenhagen to come to the U.S. <laughs> Open, we would love to meet you and have you again on the show in person. Yeah, I'd be delighted. Yeah, and uh, uh, Danish aside, I would totally be happy to hear you call a match in English. Like, I would definitely listen to that. Well, let, Me too. Let the challenge a, has let been that thrown. Be a job application. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask around. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, if you're interested in subscribing, you can do so. It's pretty easy. iTunes, Acast, Stitcher, uh, some probably some other places. The main draw on Twitter. Thanks a lot. All right, Caitlin. Uh, soon next week, your second favorite major. Let's do it, Wimbledon. All right. Oh, Bye. Bye. Now.